Okay, we made it. It's 2023. <laughs> Woo! Hey y'all, it's Becky here from the Becca Sphere where we talk about climate news and solutions. And today we are just going to look at what the heck happened in 2022, specifically having to do with the mitigation or the reducing global impact side of things. I'm going to do um, extreme weather events and climate adaptation in a different video because that's how much happened. So let's just get right into it. I have a list here and I'm just going to go through my takeaways for what the top 2022 things were. So let's start by talking about the energy policy. Clearly a lot happened with the Russian invasion in Ukraine and that triggered a lot of different energy choices that otherwise would not have been made. It did seem to help renewable energy, especially in Europe and also in places like India and China, but they also saw an increase in coal. In fact, coal reached a new record since its previous record in 2013. That's not a good sign, but it seems to be like it's probably going to be a pretty temporary thing because while there has been coal plants restarted due to a move away from Russian fossil fuels, it doesn't seem to be that there's been as many investments in new coal infrastructure minus the whole UK new coal plant move, which we talked about in the last climate recap if you want to check it out. Back in the renewable space though, a big thing that did happen was offshore wind hit its stride. Offshore wind got a lot of new projects, particularly in the United States. It was US President Biden's goal to increase offshore wind to reach 30 gigawatts by 2030. And he did a lot of legislation this year to make that happen. On the East Coast, we saw New York, New Jersey get a lot of offshore wind bids. It seems like the Gulf of Mexico might be something that will come about next year. And on the West Coast, we are seeing offshore wind bids off California so far, and we'll likely see some off the Pacific Northwest coast as well. And the reason why we haven't seen it on the West Coast before is because floating offshore wind in particular has been a very big boost. So floating offshore wind does not require it to be brought all the way down to the ground, which is really useful when you are looking to make offshore wind be located further off the coast or along a coastline like the West Coast that drops off a lot faster. Some other locations that offshore wind in general got a boost in include the UK and the EU. We saw some offshore wind farms come online in the North Sea, for example. And we also saw some offshore wind being taken up in Asia too, with countries like Vietnam and the Philippines showing interest in this form of clean energy technology. Now back to the fossil fuel side, another boost that we saw has to do with liquefied natural gas. So LNG also saw an increase specifically when Europe was looking for other forms of liquefied natural gas than Russia. And that resulted in a bit of hypocrisy, it seems, from Europe, because a lot of multilateral banks and also banks from European countries pledged to no longer support fossil fuel projects, including liquefied natural gas in other countries. So that made a huge dent in the progress that Africa was trying to make, for example, in that area when it comes to just providing more electricity for their people. So that was happening at the same time as Europe started producing its own liquefied natural gas facilities in record time and also trying to court countries in Africa as well as other countries like the US and Canada to provide LNG for them. So that was a huge 
issue that ended up coming up a lot in COP27 in particular, which was the big UN climate conference that took place in Egypt. Another big energy point has to do with nuclear fission. So nuclear plants seemed mostly to be more positive in 2022 with countries like France and Japan and South Korea showing interest in expanding that form of technology. The United States also provided some provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, to give money to already existing nuclear facilities. And then other countries like uh, Germany and Belgium seem to be continuing to move away from nuclear, but did postpone its phase out of nuclear because of the Russian-Ukrainian war. So there's still a chance that they could reconsider, though it does seem like they're going to bow out. And nuclear fusion had a recent breakthrough, which I talked about on my last climate recap, if you want to learn more about that, but that definitely should be mentioned when it comes to the review of 2022 for energy. Okay, now let's talk about the move towards electric vehicles because that also was a big thing out of 2022. There have been a lot of new bans having to do with internal combustion engines or ICE engines. For example, it kind of started out with Germany and California banning the sale of new ICE engines by 2035. And then that expanded to New York and Washington State also joining California in that and the EU as a whole decided deciding to ban the new sale of ICE vehicles by 2035. So that was a big change. And as a whole, electric vehicles are very close or have reached the point of mass adoption. So that's a really big news to come out of 2022. And then also there have been some news having to do with low carbon zones in cities. London and Paris recently provided no car zones in their cities. And that will likely be more popular leading into 2023. It seems like that's a trend that's going to continue for large cities. And finally, we have to talk about Germany's rail system. Germany, during the summertime, in order to reduce costs for consumers, allowed for a nine euro pass for German residents. And they are also planning to overhaul their rail systems. So methane, <laughs> has um, hit its stride with reaching record levels this year, and it definitely didn't help with the Russian-Ukrainian war. It didn't help that there was the whole sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline, which released a record amount of methane into the atmosphere. As a reminder, methane is 84 times as good at trapping in heat than carbon dioxide for the first 20 years they're in the atmosphere. So that's why we're paying attention to methane. And there have been a lot of different methane leaks that have been discovered over this year. A plus side is that means that more people are paying attention. There have been more satellites that have been put up to look particularly at methane emissions. So we're bound to see more reports on different methane leaks around the world. But again, the Russian-Ukrainian war did not really seem to help that case because uh, there's definitely been a methane boom this year. And that's unfortunate because just last year during COP26 had a whole methane pledge that a lot of countries signed on to. But that being said, throughout the year, we did see some more pledges. For example, Australia signed on to the 30 by 30 pledge of having 30% methane reduction by 2030. There was prioritization in New Zealand by tackling methane, particularly in the agriculture sector, which is a big methane source due to cows burping and farting and other reasons like that. And so we have seen a push towards methane reduction, which is good, but you know, talks cheap. We'll see how it actually plays out when it comes to policies and 
emissions reduction in general. And the whole conversation having to do with Australia's methane reduction leads me into the leadership changes that happened this year. So I'm not going to go through every single presidential or prime minister or congressional election that took place this year because that would be ridiculous. But let's just look at like the top historical emitters and see what happened with their elections. So the first one I want to talk about is Australia, which um, switched from Morrison to Albanese. And that definitely had an impact on the country's climate policy trajectory based on the opinions of each of those presidents towards climate change. Another one was in Brazil. Towards the end of the year, we did see a shift in power from Jair Bolsonaro to Lula da Silva. And that also will be a big change for the Amazon rainforest, which continuously hit record deforestation and wildfire records this year. Lula has had a past of reducing illegal deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. And he did also already have the Congo and Indonesia sign on to a reforestation and conservation pledge during COP27. So he seems to be pretty consistent with his opinion on conservation and it will be interesting to see moving forward how Brazil will do when it comes to producing new fossil fuel plants and also tackling problems in the Amazon which is a very important ecosystem for global climate regional climate and biodiversity. And of course, we have to talk about the UK change in power, which was a whole thing. We suddenly realized that Prime Minister Johnson wasn't the worst choice when it comes to climate change. We had that little stint with Truss where we saw an increase in fossil fuel bids. And then we moved on to Sunak, who seems to be kind of between Johnson and Truss. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward how uh, Sunak actually decides to tackle climate issues and move towards clean energy. Now we got to talk about the U.S. So the U.S. made some big breakthroughs when it comes to moving towards clean energy. It actually started in 2021 when Biden passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which moved a lot of money towards infrastructure that valued clean energy, for example. And then he also did a lot of defense production acts having to do with critical mineral mining, which has semi been productive, but honestly, there's still a lot of problems having to do with land permitting in the US that not much has actually gotten done in that category. After that, he also did the CHIPS Act and the CHIPS Act also prioritized having production be in the US for things like electric vehicles. So that moved um, more money towards domestic production. And then there was the Inflation Reduction Act. And the Inflation Reduction Act was the largest US climate bill in history. It actually made it so that we are almost on track to uh, reduce emissions down to net zero by 2050, like the Paris Accord requires. So that was a very big part of climate policy this year. The EU also had a lot of new policies this year having to do with climate change. I'm sure some European people would like to say that it, they were imperfect <laughs> because there's been a lot of opinions on a lot of the different EU policies, but generally the EU is ahead of like the US and Australia and Canada when it comes to climate policies. My standard here is low is what I'm saying. So one of the measures that they brought in this year was to reduce deforestation in the whole supply chain of the EU. So that means that they would keep track of where 
each product was made and how it was manufactured, specifically when it comes to a type of product that would impact forestry. So it could be anything from beef to palm oil to leather to furniture pieces. If they impact deforestation in some area potentially, then they will need to have some sort of certification. Another one is the EU carbon border tax, which I talked about just in the last climate recap. If you want to learn more about it, it was part of a further restructuring of the carbon credit scheme that the EU has going on. And it was the first of its kind to actually reduce how much emissions or require a certain reduction in emissions for imported products, not just products within the country. So that was another big thing that happened. And then the other big thing that happened is that while not the EU specifically, a lot of countries within the EU removed themselves from the Energy Charter Treaty, which is a treaty that was developed after World War II to assist energy companies entering former Soviet Union countries and remaining secure in their businesses. Now it's used for fossil fuel companies to block other countries from wanting to reduce emissions by canceling fossil fuel projects. So a lot of countries removed themselves from the Energy Charter Treaty, which is a big deal because now companies in those countries cannot sue other countries if those other countries want to reduce fossil fuel emissions. A lot of things happened in the world of climate financing, whether or not that has to do with reducing fossil fuel financing or also just trying to provide options for consumers to not put their money in fossil fuels. In the US, we saw a move away from environmental social governance or ESG portfolios, specifically from the Republican side of the aisle. They were pushing different companies, especially BlackRock, to not divest from fossil fuels even in those ESG portfolios. And so that actually really did impact US financial institutions. A lot of them backtracked. A lot of different financial institutions, including BlackRock, did not even attend the most recent climate conference. And most notably, we saw Vanguard remove themselves from GFANS. GFANS is a uh, UN-backed alliance for reducing their portfolios, fossil fuel, reliance. So that was unfortunate to see that was towards the end of the year. Meanwhile, on the European side, we actually saw a lot of financial institutions moving away from fossil fuels, specifically ING, HSBC, Swiss Re, Munich Re, and the UK Lloyd. All of them decided to no longer support new fossil fuel projects which is a big blow for fossil fuel projects in general. In the other video, I'm actually going to talk about the loss and damage discussion uh, and also other climate adaptation measures. So if you want to know more about the financial side of climate adaptation, then check out the next video. This video is brought to you by me. If you like the work I do, then I recommend that you check it out on Instagram and TikTok and on Twitch and also on the second channel where I put Twitch content on. Yes, I am prolific, but it's good stuff. <laughs> And if you would like to support the work I do, then definitely check out my Patreon and buy me a coffee. Links for reoccurring or one-time payments. Back to your regularly scheduled program. But meanwhile, another part of the Russian-Ukrainian war is that we did see a rise in fossil fuel profits. A lot of these companies reached record profits last year. Specifically, Saudi Aramco passed Apple as the world's most valuable company, saw a record 
$4 billion in quarterly profit this year from the war. Shell reached a record $11.5 billion in profit. Pretty much every fossil fuel company made a lot of money from the war. And one of the reasons why is they kept the prices pretty high. <laughs> Some countries impose a windfall tax on those fossil fuel companies. During this time though, we did also see a lot of activism around the world. Of course, they increased during Earth Month, and then as the extreme weather events like heat and the wildfires started ramping up in different parts of the world, climate protests continued to ramp up again in conjunction with that. And we did see some interesting demonstrations. Probably the most noticeable name would have to be Just Stop Oil, who did the mostest when it came to protests. There was a lot of protests specifically having to do with art galleries. Just as a reminder, there's glass overall all those paintings and they actually do a lot of research when it comes to uh, their activism projects to make sure that they don't get jailed for a long period of time, of course, right? We did, however, see a lot of increase in crackdown when it comes to protests too. There were some noticeable jail sentences that were up for debate and it does seem like there is more of a push towards pressing down on activist movements because likely countries know that it's going to get louder from here. So it'll be interesting to see next year what the protest and activism environment will look like. And kind of going online with the activism, we have to talk about suing. There was a lot of suing from people and groups and countries suing fossil fuel companies and other countries for climate change. Some people decided to try to sue the Russian government. So there were a lot of just lawsuits and I think that will probably continue in the future. Do most of them end up doing anything? Unfortunately not, but the increase in it and the different styles in which people choose to sue lead for more opportunities for some of these lawsuits to actually be effective. And those were my main takeaways for 2022. For me, I would say, you know, 2022 was a lot of uh, changes having to do with deciding to make climate communication be my full-time gig and expanding my influence on different platforms. So I'm hoping for next year to just really hone in on my skill set and just improve at uh, how I organize myself <laughs> to make great content for all of you. Thank you so much for supporting me during 2022. Congrats, we made it to 2023. Hopefully it'll be good. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.